the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. See, that's what makes our study today so critical. Because not only will all self-deceived false teachers end up in hell, but all those who allow themselves to be deceived by these individuals or that very message that they teach. Jesus very bluntly tells us what will happen on the day of judgment. In verse 22, he calls it that day. That day is the day of judgment. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside, which is located in Clearwater, Florida, and he has been serving there since 1981. We are continuing our series of lessons from the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew. Today, Pastor Steve begins a three-part message from chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, concerning false teachers, their fate, and the fate of those who follow them. A common misconception of Jesus is that he is meek, patient, and gentle, which he certainly is. But that misconception neglects other aspects of his nature, such as his holiness, righteousness, and kingship. He said he did not come into the world to judge it, but that does not mean he will never bring judgment. Here is Pastor Steve to begin our lesson. According to a recent poll, 80% of adults in the United States call themselves Christian. Now that is an astoundingly high number, and it's not an accurate number. Can't be right. And the reason it can't be right is because the Bible teaches just the opposite. The Bible teaches that true believers are relatively few in number amongst the vast majority of unbelievers, um, unbelievers. And the primary place in Scripture that addresses the fact that believers are in the minority is Matthew chapter 7. So let's turn there as we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to read to you the entire passage, starting at verse 13, going to verse 23, because we need to see it in its flow and in its context to really understand it. Jesus said in Matthew seven thirteen, he said, enter through the narrow Gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you'll know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, 
I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, in these verses, the Lord himself makes some very significant statements that indicate that genuine Christians are few in number, not many. For example, in verse 14, he says, and there are few who find it. The it there means salvation, the the narrow gate that leads into the kingdom. Few, he said, that find that many go down the broad road, but few find eternal life. And in verse 21, at the beginning, we read, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says they're a Christian is really a Christian. And in verse 22, he said, many will say to me on that day, but you see, though many will claim to be Christians, Jesus will inform them of their true spiritual condition. He'll declare to them, I never knew you. So in light of these statements by Christ, we understand that that believers are in the minority. We are few in number, relatively speaking. And so why do 80% of American adults believe that they are Christians? Well, there's obviously a lot of, of reasons for that. One being that they don't understand what the Bible means by the term Christian. I think that's an obvious reason. But certainly another major reason is because so many people in our country consider themselves Christians when they are not because they are deceived. They are deceived. They've been deceived and deluded. And it's a self-deception, self-delusion, into thinking that they're Christians when in reality they are not. You see, these verses found in Matthew chapter 7 are part of our Lord's conclusion to a Sermon on the Mount in which he invites unbelievers to enter into his kingdom through that narrow gate by faith in, in him. But immediately following this invitation, Jesus issues a very strong warning. He tells us to beware of false prophets who will try to persuade us not to enter into his kingdom. And they'll try to do this by preaching a message that is unbiblical and contrary to the biblical message of salvation. And to make sure that we all take this warning about these counterfeit teachers seriously, The Lord explains several truths about these individuals, these false prophets. In verse 15, he explains, first of all, that they are dangerous. They are dangerous because the goal of every false teacher is to devour unbelievers, spiritually devour them by preaching error to them. Now, how do they preach this? How do they gain a platform? How do they gain credibility? Well, they gain a platform. They gain credibility by pretending to be spiritual shepherds who speak for God. That's why they're false prophets and not true prophets, but they aren't God's shepherds at all. They're false teachers. They're ferocious wolves who are disguised as shepherds. So the first thing is Jesus warns us they're dangerous. Beware of them. Secondly, he tells us that though they are dangerously deceptive, they can be detected. And so the second truth that he tells us about false teachers is that we can detect these wolves in sheep's clothing so that they will not succeed in deceiving us. And he instructs us to detect who they are by their fruit, by the things that they produce in their lives, because just as literal fruit always reveals the true nature of a tree, so the fruit that comes out of a teacher's life, whether it be a good or bad teacher, their fruit always reveals their true nature. Now, last week we saw three kinds of fruit that we are to inspect. Number one, we are are to inspect the character and the conduct of a false teacher, or any teacher for that matter. What's their life like? How do they live? Secondly, we are to inspect their doctrine. What do they teach? What's their theology? What are the things they're saying? And third, we are to inspect the effects and influence that their teaching has on others. What does their teaching produce in the life of other people? 
Now today we want to continue our study on false teachers by looking at a third truth that Jesus revealed about them. Not only are they dangerous, not only can they be detected, but number three, they are doomed. They are doomed in the sense of their, the destiny of all false teachers is eternal judgment in hell. Now the Lord implied this in verse 19. I want you to look at verse 19. This is just an implication. When he said, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's just an implied statement. But more than imply it, in the verses that follow, Christ went on to explicitly, not imply, but explicitly state that false teachers are doomed as he explained the judgment that awaits all false teachers. And watch this, not only false teachers, but all those who follow their teaching. Now, they may not follow a man in per se, but they follow the teaching of broad-mindedness, of tolerance, of not having to submit to Christ, of not repenting, of being just very open and even religious. See, that's what makes our study today so critical, because not only will all self-deceived false teachers end up in hell, but all those who allow themselves to be deceived by these individuals or that very message that they teach. Jesus very bluntly tells us what will happen on the day of judgment. In verse 22, he calls it that day. That day is the day of judgment, a day of judgment. But notice this, it's not only to false teachers, though I think they're primarily in view, but also to ordinary church attenders and members who thought all along that they were Christians, only to find out in the end that they were not. Jesus spells out this tragic scenario for us because he wants every one of us to realize the seriousness of this matter and therefore to make sure that we really do know him so that we're not among the shocked crowd who are turned away from him on that day of judgment. So the question before all of us, and I mean all of us, is this. How can we know if we've allowed ourselves to be deceived into thinking that we're Christians on our way to heaven when in reality we're just religious? We just hang out in a religious environment, and we're on our way to hell? Well, the Lord answers that all-important question. It really is the all-important question of eternity. And he answers it by giving us three characteristics of religious but lost people. If these characteristics fit you, then you need to repent and trust Christ. You are outside of his kingdom. Regardless of how long you've been in a church, regardless of what office you may have held in a church, regardless of what other people think of you, these are three characteristics of religious but lost people. And remember, in context, though he, he appears to be referring to false teachers, he's also referring to all of those who have followed their message of traveling down the broad road of life while maintaining some type of religious orientation in life. So let's begin by looking at the first characteristic of religious but lost individuals, and it's this. They make an empty profession of faith in Christ. They make an empty profession of faith in Christ. We begin in verse 21. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, our Lord starts off this section by saying that on that day of judgment, there will be some people who will stand before him and they will acknowledge that he is Lord, yet they will not enter his kingdom. An amazing statement. And, and I want you to notice more than simply acknowledge his lordship, these individuals will speak to him on that day, with passion, fervency, intensity, they'll not just say, Lord, they'll say, Lord, Lord, there, there's an enthusiasm here. There's a, there's a fervency to this, to this whole expression. 
It's important to understand what this term means. What did Jesus mean by the term Lord? We take that for granted. Well, obviously it has to mean this. But remember, the original audience who sat listening to Christ give this sermon were Jewish people. And Jewish people in that day could and often did use the term Lord only as a title of respect and honor for important people, much as we would address somebody significant today with the term Sir. But I want you to know that the people that Jesus says who will address him as Lord, Lord on that day will mean far more than human respect and honor. And the reason we know this is because Jesus will go on to say that these folks actually believed in his deity. How do we know that? Because they claim to have prophesied in his name. They claim to have cast out demons in his name. They claim to have actually performed not just one, but many miracles all in his name all in his name. In other words, in calling him Lord, Lord, they'll be acknowledging his deity with heartfelt enthusiasm and passion. To say I do this in his name makes no sense unless they believed in his deity. See, these people that Christ is referring to are those who during their lifetime made some type of profession of faith in him. Now, it is interesting to note that even though many false teachers and those who follow their teaching do not believe in the deity of Christ, the folks that the Lord has in mind here, they do. Now, remember we said that, that false teachers are always off on something concerning the person and work of Christ, but it doesn't always have to be his deity. It could be his humanity. It could be the atonement. But in this case, these folks hold to the right orthodox biblical view of Christ as God. But there's something terribly wrong with their profession of faith. There's something terribly wrong with their confession of Christ as Lord because Jesus said that even though they believe the truth about him in terms of his deity, he'll not let them enter into his kingdom. Why not? He goes on to explain why not. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. Now, what this statement reveals is that these people only call Jesus Lord, but they never submitted to his lordship by obeying the word of God. They, they never did the will of God, which would be evidence that they had true saving faith. In other words, though they claimed to believe in his lordship with their lips, their lives didn't support that claim, no matter what they said. He wasn't their Lord in personal experience, because if he was, they would have committed themselves to following his word. They merely professed faith in Christ, but they did not possess true saving faith in Christ. A world of difference, an eternity of difference. See, the reason that Jesus spoke about people like this in the Sermon on the Mount is because our Lord knew and anticipated that there would be many individuals down through the centuries who would believe the right orthodox truths about him, think they were saved, and yet still be lost, and they wouldn't even realize it. That's why he's paying so much attention to this. That's why there's such a bluntness here. That's why this is so important. And folks, that's exactly what's happened. Today, churches, even Bible-believing churches, are filled with people just like this. They adhere to the essential doctrines of biblical Christianity, and they verbally confess that they believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. And they will even say that he died for me on the cross. But they're still not saved. They're still not saved. Why? Listen carefully. Because orthodox belief in the truth is not the same thing as saving faith. Do you get that? 
Orthodox belief in the truth is not the same thing as saving faith. In fact, I would venture to say that it is easier today than in previous generations for someone to say they believe in Christ without really being born again, and yet most in the evangelical community will welcome you with open arms, even give you a position in the church to serve. I think it's easier because so much of of our contemporary approach to evangelism today fails to stress the critical issues of repentance and commitment to Christ's lordship. But what it does do is put a heavy emphasis on saying the the right words in a sinner's prayer, on walking an aisle, on raising your hand, on speaking to a counselor. And as long as folks say the right evangelical lingo, the right language, we seem to be very satisfied that they've been converted. That's all that really matters. It's a man who um, is in our early service who I've, I've known for years who told me that he was in a, a good Bible teaching church for years and years and was a lost man, lost man. And even when he went to the leaders of that church and said that he was lost and, and he's just come to faith in Christ, he said, oh no, that can't be. It was, it was. See, to those folks, Jesus said, I'll refuse you entrance into my kingdom even if you say the right words. There are many who say the right words. There are many who can say, on such and such a date, I, I prayed the sinner's prayer. Jesus will say, but I never knew you. See, regardless of what you claim to believe about Christ, even if it's the truth about him, if there is no surrender to his lordship, which is evidenced by daily obedience to his word, then you are not a saved individual, no matter what people around you think. Jesus himself said this, and he asked a rhetorical question in Luke 6.46. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? Now, you know the answer to that, because he's not their Lord. No matter what they say, he's not their Lord. See, just saying that you believe that Jesus is Lord does not make you a Christian, as the Lord points out here. In fact, in his New Testament letter, James addresses the very same type of people that Christ was talking about. Let's turn there to James chapter 2. In James chapter 2, which is a very, very important passage of Scripture, James talks about people who, who could talk a good talk, but they fail to walk a good walk. So this is, this is an ongoing problem. It's not unique to our day and age, though I do think it's a lot easier in our day and age to say the right words and be accepted and yet not be a Christian. But in James chapter 2, beginning at verse 14, James talks about this. He said, What use is it, verse 14 of chapter 2, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I'll show, you my, uh, I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you, you foolish fellow, that, without, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. It means completed. Now, in these verses, James tells us about those who he starts off by telling us about those who say they have faith. That doesn't mean they have faith. If a man says he has faith, that doesn't mean he has faith just because he says it. 
They claimed to have it, but it was an empty claim. And it was the proof that it was empty, James says, is their lives revealed that there were that there was nothing there. There were no works that came forth from them. You see, if you're saved, you're not saved by your works. You're saved by trusting in Christ alone. But those who are saved will demonstrate that they're saved by their works, by their works. These people didn't. They, they were so heartless, so unloving that when there was a needy person, person needed food and clothing, they said, no, no, we don't, we're just going to walk by and we'll pray for you. May God bless you and have somebody else take care of you, not us. This faith, James points out, is no different than the faith of demons. You know, demons have faith, a certain type of faith. Demons have the right theology about God. It's all head knowledge. There's no heart surrender. They obviously aren't saved, but they have the right theology. They believe that God is one. They're monotheistic. That's the same kind of faith that a non-believer has who claims to know Christ but has never been saved. Now, on the other hand, James mentions the great Old Testament man of faith, Abraham. Why does he mention Abraham? Well, to illustrate that Abraham, as a, as a real man of faith, evidenced his faith by his works. When James says that Abraham was justified by works, that has confused a lot of people because Paul makes it very clear in Romans chapters uh, 1 through 4 and 5, in fact, the whole book, that a man is justified by, by faith alone without works. And yet here, James says that Abraham was justified by works. Well, the justification that, that Paul is talking about and that James is talking about are two different, two different things. Paul is talking about being justified before God, being declared righteous before God based on, on grace alone through faith. James uses the same word justified, but the justification here is not before God, it's before men. In other words, he's using justification in the sense of, of vindicated before men. When men looked at Abraham's faith, uh, or his works rather, we knew that he was vindicated, justified or vindicated before men by the way he, he lived. In other words, Abraham demonstrated the genuineness of his faith by putting God's word above his own desires by his willingness to obey the Lord in sacrificing Isaac. In fact, he talked about Isaac here in terms of justification. Isaac and the willingness that Abraham had to slaughter him, to sacrifice him, came years later after Abraham was converted. So he's not even talking about justification by faith. He's just saying that Abraham demonstrated that his faith was real by his works. And that's, that's the whole point that James is making. And really, that's the same issue that Jesus is addressing in the sermon on the mount, faith that isn't yielded to his lordship over your life so that your life is characterized by obedience to God's will is really demonic faith. It's no different than the demons, meaning that you have the right theology like the demons. Listen, they have great theology. Demons have great theology, but there's no heart to obey God. In fact, demons hate God, and so does everyone who says Jesus is Lord, but they don't obey him. It's simply faith that, that gives intellectual assent and agreement to the truths of the Bible, but it goes no deeper than that. I'm sure you've heard the old story, or one like it, about a man complaining to his friend about his dog. He said the dog thought she was a chicken. She went around the backyard clucking and scratching up bugs and eating them. I would never put up with that, said his friend. Why don't you get rid of her? Well, quite frankly, said the man, we really like the eggs she gives us. Honestly, though, people who think they are Christians but are not 
are really no more able to produce the fruit of the Spirit than that dog could actually produce an egg. And that is the way to tell if a teacher is a genuine Christ follower, and it's also an important part of the way we can know if we are truly saved. Thank you for tuning in today. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He has been serving there for over 27 years, and now his messages make the transition to radio through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the gifts and prayers of listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. If you would like to listen again to today's broadcast, stop by our website, versebyverseradio.org. We also have previous lessons on the archives page. That's versebyverseradio.org. For a cassette or a CD with the entire message, you can give us a call at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during weekday office hours so that you can order your copy. Our number again is 727 727- 4411714 We invite you to join us for our next verse by verse for more about how to identify a true believer. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse by W262CP Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.